Love it, love it. It's just everybody's reaction to Paul's comedy show. If we could all do it, we would. Hi, everybody. Sorry I have to sit down. Um, I went to the hospital this week because um, I was in a bit of pain carrying two babies. And um, the, we waited for like three hours or whatever to be seen. And finally, a doctor came up to me and went, so you're in pain? And I was like, yes, yes, I am. And she like, did a little bit of an examination. And she went, yeah, your body's just not designed to carry two babies. Like, love, I could have saved you seven years' medical training expenses and told you that myself when I walked in. Um, so, yeah, that's the only reason I'm sitting down. But it feels really weird, and I feel like Jesus isn't with me if I'm unless I'm stood up on, on a microphone. So bear with me. I might have to go up in a little bit. Um, so this is the last week of the Incredible Women series. I know. I think it needs a bigger reaction than that, actually. Come on. Yeah. We have to go back to normal, like, man-boring-Adam stuff after this, so... Sorry, babes. <laughs> um, so Adam did um, an amazing kind of more of a sum up of the whole of the series um, last week, which if you weren't here for, um, please go back onto um, Hope Church Online and um, listen to the podcast, check it out, um, because it was absolutely brilliant and really kind of left us all um, that were here with a real kind of challenge and conviction to go and pick up the Bible and start looking at stuff for ourselves and just realising how important that is. Um, so I was meant to preach last week, but um, was having um, problems with, my, um, with this bump. So this one should have come before, so it's not as much of a, oh, did you change your mind? <laughs> All right, mate. Oh, he's so cute. Um, so this is less of a sum-up one and should, should have been the one that was on last week, but I think it's important nonetheless. Um, and we can find what we're talking about in, um, in the book of Luke this morning. So I'm talking about Anna. Um, and her story is tucked away in the early days of Jesus's childhood. It's right at the beginning of Luke in chapter two. Um, and there's, you can, if you start reading at the chapter two of Luke, you can read all about the birth of Jesus. Um, and then it comes to verse 36. And Anna's story is there, summarized in barely any detail in just three verses. So it really is blink and you miss it. If you've not heard of Anna before, then I'd totally forgive you. I hadn't heard of her. Three verses, that's all she gets. Um, there's a bloke called Simeon who comes before her, who gets a lot more attention. And Anna just creeps in with her three little verses, summing up her entire life. Um, but I really think um, God has got something to say to um, us about those three verses this morning. So I'm just going to read it out to you. I don't know if it's coming up here, but... Um, So Luke chapter 2, verses 36 to 38. It says, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years. Basically, Bible talk, she was old. And had lived with her husband for seven years after her marriage. And then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayer. And at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for redemption. So don't worry about that last verse. I'm going to go into that um, at the end. But basically, what you need to know about Anna is that Anna got married quite late in life. I've been kind of reading around looking at a few different opinions and scholars and stuff um, this week. um, And they basically think out of that detail and what they can kind of summarize from her life is that she got married quite late in life. So she was waiting for her husband for quite a long time. But then it says that by the time she was 84, she was already a widow. So it meant, if you look at that text, that she'd only been married for about seven years. 
It doesn't have any mention of the fact that she had kids or anything like that. So she was a widow um, quite quickly. And it says that once she was widowed, she spent all her time at the temple worshipping. So it's like she'd had her marriage. She'd, I don't know whether she had a great time or a terrible time. It doesn't give us any more info. But once she'd um, been widowed, she went straight to the temple. And that is where you would find her. That is where Anna would be hanging out. And one of the cool things about her is that she is named Anna the prophetess. And she is only one of nine women in the entire Bible that is given that title. So it's a title that obviously doesn't get given out a lot. It doesn't come easy. Um, So she's one of nine that gets given the title prophetess, which basically means that she was a prophet, um, that she could hear from God really, really, really clearly and then tell other people about what he was saying. So what can we learn from Anna and why is she important? I just got a couple of points um, before I get on to the major one that I really felt like God was nudging and saying that these were significant things um, for people in this room this morning. So the first thing is being significant. Anna's story, like I said, is captured in only three verses of scripture. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. She didn't need a book written about her to be significant in the Bible. She didn't need a whole half of the, like the whole of the New Testament to be about her to make her think that she was significant. And it got me thinking about us. You don't need to be at the front to be significant. You don't need to be a person that everybody knows to be significant. You don't need to be somebody that's constantly in and out of everything and doing everything and is the person that everybody knows and that um, and you know everybody and that you get things done. You don't need to be that person to be significant. And when I say significant, I don't mean famous or anything like that. I mean just a person that is doing stuff that's making a difference, having a significant impact on the world around us. And I was thinking that sometimes I think we get so caught up in just the people that are around, especially in Hope Church, that are at the front and doing everything and making everything tick by. And sometimes we can sit back and just go, oh, they're the people that are doing it all. They're the people that are getting noticed. They're the people that are making a difference. And I think it's such a lie um, of the enemy to try and keep us in our seats and stop us from getting up and going, do you know what? What can I offer? What can I bring? What can I do to make an impact here? Um, Anna was there every day, ready to worship at the temple. Translation for us today, all God asks is that we're willing. That's all he asks of us. He will do the rest. Um, Adam said to me last night when he read my preach, he was like, oh, you have to put in this line that I like, totally made up myself. And I can't even remember what it is now. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I was so not interested in not wanting to watch Strictly. <laughs> and he was jabbing on about Jesus. Um, <laughs> There's a time and a place. But is it do what you do what you do what you can with what you have where you are. Do what you can with what you have where you are. We can boil it down to being as simple as that. If you are here, um, then ask yourself, ask yourself this morning, if you feel like you're insignificant, if you feel like you're not playing a role, if you feel like you're still on the edge a little bit of a family life here at Hope Church, then ask yourself, look into your heart and ask God, do you know, I'm here, I'm willing, I want to be significant, so what would you have me do, God? And I guarantee that you offer a prayer like that to God, he's going to pay attention. 
be careful what you pray for because suddenly he might have you doing stuff and you might be involved. You might be like, oh my gosh, what have I done? But it will be amazing if every single one of us had that willing attitude to be like, do you know what? I want to make a difference. So use me, God. The other thing which follows on nicely to that is the fact that the Bible says that she is um, 84 is really, really, really important actually because age is rarely mentioned in the New Testament. It's quite a big deal saying how old people are in the Old Testament. Um, You go through and you know how old Noah was. You know how old Moses was. They seem to chronologically go through things and I guess it helps us sort of pinpoint on the historical map of the Bible of where people were and when things happened and that's an important thing for us in research. But in the New Testament, it happens much um, much less than it does in the Old Testament. So the fact that here it says that she was 84, I think God wants us to take something from that. And I think what it is, is God isn't done with you just because you're not 26 anymore. Someone needs to hear that this morning. God isn't finished with you because you're 84, because you're 76, because you're 62. God isn't finished with you because you're not a young person that can run around and and has got all the time in the world and no responsibility and no sort of commitment. If you are still here, God isn't finished with you. If you are still here, God has got plans for you. He has got things that he wants to do through you and things that are important. And on the other spectrum of that, if you are a young person in here this morning, just because you're 12 doesn't mean that God hasn't got awesome things ready for you to do right now. Just because you're 14 doesn't mean he hasn't got incredible things that he wants you to do in your schools, in your colleges in your homes. If you are here, God wants to talk to you. God wants to use you. He wants to do incredible things through you. So age is just a number. Anna was there at 84 years old, probably knackered from life. (laughs) And my nan is 96. And every time I ask her how she's feeling, she just says old. (laughs) I know, bless her. But she's just old. But I'm like, Nan, you're still here. So there's obviously a reason. She's like, well, when you find it out, let me know. But <laughs> she doesn't love the Lord. Um, but, <laughs> but nonetheless, if you are here, no matter how young you are, and no matter how old you are, God has still got something to do through you. And take encouragement from Anna this morning. They're 84. After being widowed, you know, she could have quite easily shut up shop. She could have quite easily just gone back to her village, wherever she came from, and just gone, you know what, I've lived a good life, I've done everything, you know, people won't hold it against me if I stop now. But she didn't do that. She chose to keep on being willing. She chose to keep on getting up every morning and going to that temple and worshipping and seeing what God still had in store for her. I absolutely love that. God wasn't done with her, and God absolutely isn't done with anybody in this room this morning. So the other thing about Anna, and this is what I really want to get into this morning, is that um, Anna had an option A for her life, and then she also had an option B for her life. And what I mean by that um, is that she hadn't... Sorry, it's funny here. As a child, all of her kind of hopes and dreams, all of her wonderments about what her life would be, she probably didn't end up with the life that she had planned to have. When she dreamed of when she was a kid, of what she was going to do, who she was going to be, where she was going to go, what she was going to see, that was her option A. That was her ideal life. And the life she ended up with, that probably wasn't the option B, exactly what she had planned. 
And I was trying to think um, about when this has happened in life, because I think this happens all the time. Um, but I had an option A versus option B scenario um, back in March um, when me and a couple of my friends, is Charlie Kay here this morning? Is she not? She's skiving. Cool. Um, <laughs> uh, I was, um, we were planning a hen do for one of our friends, Katie Griffiths, and um, we'd started planning ages and ages and ages before. If you know me, I'm a planner, I love it. So I was planning like a year before or whatever. And we'd found this incredible house in Cornwall um, that we were going to, and we we're really, really excited. And there was a group of about 20 of us going, and everything had been planned down to a T. Like no stone had been left unturned. It was going to be awesome. We had loads and loads and loads food we had it was like a private house on a beach um, it had incredible rooms the decor was great we had a load of Prosecco like what could go wrong it was going to be absolutely amazing and then I don't know if you remember what happened in March but the first weekend of March out of nowhere it snowed everyone remember that the annoying snow yeah it snowed what on earth? Why was it snowing in March? I hadn't planned for that. That was not the deal. That's not what I wanted to happen. And we had arranged, um, me and Charlie were going to go down in a car together. And, w- and I'd booked the day off work. Um, and Charlie had arranged childcare for the kids. And we were going to leave really early in the morning. And we we're going to have a really leisurely sort of drive down to Cornwall. And we we're going to go to the house. And we we're going to set up. And everything was going amazing for the time Katie Griffiths arrived. Um, but when we woke up, there was snow everywhere. And we had a little Facebook group um, where we were sort of, everybody apart from Griffiths was on this Facebook group discussing like what you bring in and all the rest of it. And there was panic on the Facebook group. Sheer and utter panic. People, they shall not be named, but they go to this church. But oh my goodness, no faith in the Lord. None at all. <laughs> Absolute, oh my goodness, we're stuck. We can't go anywhere. We can't possibly go. We need to cancel it. I'm not driving. My mother says it's dangerous. I don't care what your mum says. Like, I, so me and Charlie were sat in my kitchen and we were on speakerphone to Lorna, who was going to be driving Katie Maxwell and Sarah Jane and the, um, the hen, Katie Griffiths, down later. And we were on the phone just discussing, like, what are we going to do? Like, option A was amazing. We we're going to have a great time. We we're going to stop. We we're going to get a Starbucks. We we're going to enjoy Cornwall and the scenery. We we're going to get there. We we're going to go in the hot tub before anybody else does. It's going to be amazing. And then it's like, actually, that's not going to happen now, is it? We're dealing with a completely different situation. So eventually, Adam and Dan um, Jones, Lorna's husband, turned up at the house. And they were like, this is ridiculous. We're going to go and check the roads for you. And I was like, in that moment, I was quite happy to be a damsel in distress, to be honest. Like, sometimes it works for you, doesn't it, women? Like, I was like, great, if you want to go out and be all macho about it and check the roads, you carry on. So they drove all the way to Yeovil to pick up Katie Griffiths because her husband-to-be said he was snowed in. (laughs) What a wet blanket. And... (laughs) And he couldn't possibly move his car and he couldn't possibly bring her. So Adam and Dan saved the day and they went down. They rescued Katie Griffiths. They took her to an Asda where their Lorna, um, Sarah Jane and Katie were able to pick up the hen and get her in the car. And me and Charlie were like, right, this is it. We're going. We're doing this. We are totally going to go on the roads. And I remember Adam ringing me from the car going, Jem, you've got an SUV. Like the tyres are amazing. You're absolutely fine. There's no problem. Like you've probably driven them worse. Just get on the road and go. So we got super pumped, me and Charlie. Now, if you know Charlie, like she's like a little thing, isn't she? And, and she's probably not the best person to have with you in like emergency situations. So I'm thinking like, I'm the sensible one. Like it's all on me. If anything goes wrong in this car journey, then oh my gosh, like it's going to be terrible. But we set off 
Mike is literally laughing his head off at the back because he knows exactly he wouldn't have Charlie the Panico in a car with him. But we're going, hardly any snow. By the time we got onto the motorway, absolutely fine. Went off on the A road, down towards Cornwall, absolutely fine. Then it started to get a little bit more hairy because there sort of started to be like piles of snow. You know when they do that on the verges? Like as you're driving down A roads? That freaked me out a little bit. I pretended to be hard to Charlie. She was like, oh, Gem's getting a bit scary. I was like, oh, whatever. Like... This is like so easy, like carrying on. I was thankful from the bottom of my heart that I didn't have Katie Maxwell in my car because <laughs> I forever love the Lord because of that. Because Katie's fam famous for being a bit of a nervous passenger in cars. She always holds on and she always breaks in her imaginary pedals. So poor Lorna, the <laughs> patience of a saint, had to deal with her. I think you even tried to get out of the car at one point at her services, didn't you? You were like, no, I might turn back now. But she carried on. She hung in there. Um, so me and Chai were going along and we we're thinking, gosh, we're like not going to beat the hen. Like she's going to get there first. Lorna was steaming on down. And then I was, you know, I was on Google Maps. And you know when Google Maps pops up and says, um, there's like a, I can save you seven minutes if you take this diversion. It's from the devil. Honestly, I was like, oh, seven minutes, Charles, should we do it? And she was like, Gemma, I don't think we should. We shouldn't rip and um, go off the A road. I was like, it's just a little B road and it's going to take us around here. And then we're going to come out the other side of it. And she was like, I just don't know how I feel about it, Gemma. I just don't know how I feel about it. Like, I might have to ring Mike and the kids and just, like, say one final goodbye before we go. I was like, all right, Charles, you have a quick moment and then we'll get on it. Anyway, Charlie was totally right. We never should have taken the, the B road. I got five minutes down the B road and just got completely stuck. There was black ice all underneath. They hadn't cleared any of the road. It was a really stupid decision on my part. And we got totally stuck. And then the car just stopped. And I was like, oh, great. I think, what do you do in this situation? Like, this has never happened to me before. If I ring AA, it's going to take hours, and they're going to say, where are you? And I'm going to go, I don't know, I'm in Cornwall somewhere. And they're going to go, why on earth are you driving? And I'm going to go, oh, I just really wanted to get to a hen pie. <laughs> and I thought it'd be fine, and my husband said it would be, so I didn't know what to do. Randomly, literally, we only sat there for about two minutes. Charlie's pretty much crying, like, oh, like thinking, oh, then this is the end. We're going to have to, like, sleep in the car. We've got the blankets, Gem. And I'm like, we've got loads of Prosecco, we'll be fine. And we're sat there, and then out of nowhere, and honestly, I could not make this up, a tractor comes around with three teenage girls hanging out of it, and one of them driving. I was like, surely this is illegal. I know Cornwall's a bit like, you know, on the other side. But I was like, I was like, you're right. And they came up to us now, are you stuck? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, right, one like point for stating the obvious. And, uh, and they were like, we can get you out. And I was like, okay, amazing. I swear, honestly, they're only about 15 years old. The three of them, they're in hoodies. They like seemed like they were having a great time. And they're like, we're driving around rescuing everybody. I was like, legends, what incredible women, you know? Excellent. Just for you, Ad. <laughs> so I was like, this is amazing. So they came up, they hooked my car onto their tractor, like their tow bar thing, and they pulled us out into safety and then got out of their tractor and then pushed me whilst I was, they were telling me what to do with the pedals and stuff as well because I didn't have a clue. And they totally got us going again while a man stood in his window just nodding and watching. <laughs> So me and Charlie wound down the window and we were like, cheers, mate, as we drove off. But these three girls were absolutely incredible. So the option A of like turning up and, and being organized and getting there and having an amazing time turned into a really fraught and frantic option B. But it was so much more fun 
And then the option A. And by the time we got there, Lorna and Sarah and Kate had had like a pretty scary journey as well. They'd stuck to the paths and done the sensible thing. And there was like a death-defying hill, which was basically ice, which took us into the property, um, which I honestly closed my eyes as I drove it. Because I just, it was like a natural reaction. I was like, if I don't see it, it can't hurt me. So I'm just like, that's how I deal with spiders. And um, so I just did that. And then we got in there and we couldn't believe it. And we ended up having a really good night. And the hen was there and it ended up being an amazing party. And we had a great time. But option A, that wasn't the ideal. But option B totally came through. And it ended up being amazing and gave us a story to talk about. It's exactly the same for Anna. Her option A, everything she had planned, everything she had dreamt of, everything she had wanted for her life, it didn't happen. Option B happened instead. And it wasn't what she had planned out. It's totally different to the life um, that she thought she was going to end up with. If we're honest with ourselves, we all want option A. Who doesn't? Why would you say, yeah, I want the backup plan? That's why it's option A. That's the one we want. But when life presents us with option B, what's our reaction then? What happens then? How do we react then to the plan that's put before us, the decisions put before us that maybe we wouldn't have chosen? There's a really famous woman, you might have heard of her, she's called Sheryl Sandberg, and she's a COO, I think, Chief Operating Officer, at Facebook. Um, And a couple of years ago, um, she was happily married, had a couple of kids. um, And then one morning, her husband tragically died. He was only 47. He was on a treadmill of all things, and he had a heart attack. I think it's the saddest thing. Um, And with the kids and everything, they just woke up that one morning. He died at 47, and their entire world just changed. Everything changed from that moment on. And she ended up writing a book about it, which is really good. I recommend it. But in it, she says that three weeks after her husband died, she was talking to her grief counsellor and she was saying that, oh gosh, the worst thing is, is that next week there's a father-son event happening at school and I don't know what to do about it. I don't know who should go with my son. And the grief counsellor said to her, well, what would you do? What's your ideal scenario? And she was like, well, in an ideal scenario, my husband would still be here. And my husband would take him to the father-son event and they would have an amazing time. That's what's meant to happen. That was what was meant to be. And the grief counsellor turned to her and he said, option A is no longer available to you. Option A isn't going to happen for you. Option A doesn't exist anymore for you. So we need to work out how the heck we're going to have an amazing time doing option B instead. He actually said, if you read the book, we need to find the way to kick the rude word out of option B instead. But we're very polite in here and very Christian. So I knew I couldn't say that word. But um, it's more impactful, isn't it, when you can swear? <laughs> just, just not in preachers. It's not good. So what is option B? Option B is the life you didn't want, but you currently have. The life you didn't want, but you currently have. It's the marriage that never happened. It's the divorce that you never expected. It's the children that never came. It's the loss of a loved one that you faced really early on. It's the depression that you never thought you'd struggle with. It's the illness that just took over. The financial struggles that have overwhelmed you. Or the addiction that became your biggest battle in life. Anna was living out her option B life. She was a widow after only seven years of marriage. In those times, marriage, we said it before from the front, marriage, having kids, that was everything for women in biblical times. That was about serious social status. 
And there she was, no mention of any children, no mention of ever getting remarried. Many women would have let their lives stop there and gone, do you know what? This isn't what I bargained for. This isn't what I signed up for. This isn't the life I wanted, but not Anna. Anna shows us that while option B may not be our first choice, our lives can still find fulfillment and purpose beyond what we ever imagined. They can still find purpose and fulfillment. How do I know that? Because of what happens next, which is in verse 38. I'm going to paraphrase now, but basically right before Anna's verses in Luke, um, the bit before there's a guy called Simeon and he's hanging about the temple all the time, um, always praying and fasting as well. He's very, very significant um, in the um, early life there. And Joseph and Mary show up with an infant Jesus. doesn't say how old he was at that time, but they show up with him. And Simeon, on taking one look at Jesus, he suddenly declares that Jesus is the Messiah. He knows who Jesus is. He takes one look at him and he says, yep, this is the one we've been waiting for. This is the king that we've been praying for. This is the child that is going to do incredible things. This is what the Lord has been talking about. And he just breaks out into praise and worship. At that very moment, Anna comes into the temple and she realizes the exact same thing. She meets baby Jesus and instantly recognizes that he is the son of God, the one they've been waiting for. And she too starts worshiping and telling everybody around her, anybody that would listen, and probably people that didn't even want to listen, that the Messiah has come and she starts leading people to understand how significant that is and what that means. Option B for Anna meant that she was around and she was available to see the greatest thing that she could have ever imagined, meeting the Messiah, meeting the one that she had prayed for, that she had longed for, that she had been in that temple worshiping and fasting and praying for, for the rest of her life her saviour, right before her eyes. Once Anna was widowed, she dedicated her life to serving God. And she was waiting for the saviour to come, believing in all of the prophecies beforehand, knowing that he was going to come and save the world. And then she comes face to face with him. And all of her dreams come true. Her option B life wasn't the life she would have chosen. She didn't want to be widowed probably. She didn't want to be stuck in that situation, 84 on her own and having to hang out at the temple all the time. But she embraced it. She took it with two hands and said, God, you know what? I'm still here and I'm still willing. So do something with me. And God shows up in an incredible way and puts Jesus in front of her. And she's like, oh my goodness. I never thought I'd see this day. I never thought I'd live to see this. The Messiah, the King, the one that everybody has been talking about, he's actually here right before my eyes. If you are currently living in option A, praise God for that. That's amazing for you. I can't imagine most people in this room are living their option A life because it's not the way life seems to pan out. We get curveballs thrown at us all the time. So if you are one of the many who are living in the option B camp instead this morning, I want you to know that you are absolutely not alone. You are not alone and God is not finished with you. God is with you. He sees you. He hears you and he knows you. And most importantly, he still has plans for you. Paul, do you want to come up? He doesn't just have plans for you. He has great plans for you, 
plans that you can't fathom, plans that you can't predict, you couldn't write down, you couldn't say, oh, I reckon God's going to do this in my life. They are plans that will exceed your expectations beyond your wildest dreams. We serve a God who has a way of making our lives exceedingly and abundantly above all we could ever ask, imagine, or think, even if it wasn't originally our plan in the first place. So I just want to ask this morning, like, what have you got in front of you right now? If you're looking at your life and you're thinking, yeah, do you know what? I walked in here down this morning. I walked in here not feeling like myself this morning because there's just so much that's gone on that I just never saw coming, that I never thought would happen to me. I feel like I've been on a journey where I've gone down so many different roads and I'm a bit confused as to where I am and who I am. What have you got in front of you? Are you staring at a life that you didn't expect? Are you dealing with circumstances that you never thought you'd have to handle? You are not alone in that. Even just the testimony of, of my life over the last couple of years and Adam and all of the problems that we've had and, and death and miscarriage and all the rest of it, that I never, ever signed up for that. I never sat there as a 10-year-old and dreamt that for my life. But I stand here, th- well, I sit. <laughs> I sit here this morning because I'm so thankful that that stuff happened now. So, so thankful. I'm not putting that on. I don't say that. I genuinely mean that. It doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't erase it as a thing where you can just go, oh, yeah, let's pretend that didn't happen now because I'm pregnant, so it doesn't mean anything. I'm thankful that that stuff happened because I know I wouldn't have got to here this morning if that stuff hadn't happened. I knew God could use it. I knew God could take something that was painful and hurtful and awful, and he could turn it into something amazing as long as I gave it to him. So if you're sat here this morning and you've got pain that you never expected to have, you've got hardships that you've never expected to have, and stuff way worse than things I've been through. I know lots of people in this room are struggling with things that are way beyond anything I can imagine. I just want to ask you, can you just dare to be like Anna this morning? Can you just dare just to use a tiny bit of your courage, a tiny bit of your bravery, and just be willing to open your hands and give that to God? And say, God, this isn't the option A. This is absolutely the option B. But I still want to meet you in the option B. Because you're not done with me. You're not finished with me. And I want to keep going with you. Take this opportunity to start living again. Ask God to give you eyes that see you the way he sees you. Ask God to open your mind to be able to dream things the way he dreams for you. Imagine things the way he imagines for you. And you could leave here today and you could start making the most of today and not be caught in your depression, not be caught in the sadness and the pain and the hurt of everything that's been before, but actually start embracing it and actually walk out of here with your head held high and say, do you know what? It's not the way I imagined it, but God has done some pretty amazing imagining instead for me and he's not finished so I can't wait to see what's around the corner from this just felt like when Paul was um, doing the worship earlier and he was talking about people in here that maybe feeling the the strain and the, the brokenness and I was thinking that's exactly what I wanted to talk about this morning that when you feel like you're stuck in that and you sometimes you can't see out of it I feel like we need to get around some people this morning lay hands on them and pray for them that God would just lift them out of that place they're in at the moment where they might feel stuck I've been there I get it it's hard you can't do it on your own 
but we can take people like Anna who just had three verses. That's all she had. But she was an amazing example of what God can do with a life, of what God can do with just three verses.